This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. This is Karen Martin, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? I'm Karen Martin, and I help organizations perform better, primarily using lean management practices. Fantastic. And, and a big part of uh, helping them better using those lean management practices, and, and really, um, I, I love what you're doing because it's very much sort of lean applied to that management and leadership um, focus. I'm a, I'm a big fan of lean from uh, the what's going on in the entrepreneurial innovation side, but it also needs to make for a good organization. And a big part of that is um, some wonderful information you've compiled on how to make an organization an outstanding one, aptly titled, mind you, the outstanding organization. Uh, generate business results by eliminating chaos and building the foundation for everyday excellence. I want to talk about chaos and that foundation in a second, but first I want to ask you why, why write the outstanding organization? It came from years and years of working with all kinds of clients, you know, all different size organizations, different industries, and seeing that none of them were moving at the pace that I felt that they were capable of moving at. Um, They all were not really reaching the potential that they had that I could see so clearly as quickly as I thought that they could, and I was trying to figure out what are the common themes in all these different types of organizations which were holding them back. And it took me, you know, almost a decade really to put it all together and see these common behaviors or the lack of certain behaviors that were at the fun, you know, the fundamental at the foundation of why companies weren't accelerating and weren't able to leverage Lean and Six Sigma and any kind of improvement methodology to the degree that they could. And that was, you know, that's my mission was to find out what is it so I could, you know, put it in a book and get it out there so I could spread the news to as many organizations as possible, and that's, that's how the book came about. Awesome. And, and it, what I love about it is that there, there are a lot of different definitions of outstanding that uh, we, we see in a lot of books on organizations. You know, I think the sort of Jim Collins always has his, here's how I um, define how I chose the companies that I'm going to look at. Um, but I'm curious as to when you say outstanding, you have a very specific definition of outstanding. What what do you mean when you say that an organization is outstanding? Yeah, an outstanding organization to me is one an organization that has impeccable problem-solving capabilities built across the entire organization from top to bottom, bottom to top. They are also very very aggressive with improvement and innovation and they're extremely resilient. And, and along with the resilience, something I don't talk as much about in the book, but I have been talking about a lot since the book was released, is agility. And to me, resilience and agility are you know, kind of cousins that go together. And so when you look out there across all the different organizations, if you use those criteria to determine whether an organization is outstanding, you know, frankly, there aren't that many that are really at that level um, where they're stellar in all three of those areas. Hmm. No, very interesting. And, and all of the, the ones that aren't um, outstanding in all of those areas, they tend to share the same common enemy. Um, and I like the way you, you give that, uh, you, give, you give all of those problems, I think, underneath kind of one broad banner, the common enemy of chaos. Talk to me about chaos. Yeah, so I have had so many people throughout my, you know, my own career, my own corporate life, and then, you know, after I left and became 
uh, a consultant, I have had so many people use the C word, as I call it. You know, they're just always seemingly, you know, talking about the chaos that they're exposed to, and both leaders and front lines and middle managers, all of them. And so I just kept looking at what is this chaos? What causes this chaos? What, why is there so much chaos? And that, again, is what I started thinking about this foundation that, you know, basically organizations seem like they're trying to build a skyscraper on a foundation that's cracked. And so then when I started looking at the reason for the chaos, it was the lack of the four behaviors, clarity, focus, discipline, and full engagement of the workforce that I feel are very much behind the cracks in the foundation that cause all this chaos. So talk to me about the different types of chaos, one that I think leads to that innovation, which is the unavoidable chaos. And then talk to me about avoidable chaos, which is really at the heart of what we're trying to eliminate. Right. So there, the two kinds of chaos are prevalent, and one is desirable and one's not. And so the avoidable chaos is what we're talking about. I also refer to it as self-inflicted chaos. Self-inflicted chaos is the kind of things that we do to ourselves, and, you know, I talk about organizations and people need to get out of their own way. And so it's that kind of chaos that should be addressed and needs to be diminished in order for people to really, you know, rise to the occasion and perform the way they need to perform in order for the organization to perform at high levels. Absolutely. I think it's, it's, a, it's an apt distinction because I think there's a, uh, possibly a trend to just allow whatever happens, happens in the name of this sort of free-form um, ex- experimental, we don't know where, what the world's going to look like in five years, so let's just do whatever. And I don't think we need to invite that chaos in. There are, there are the necessary elements, but then there is the self-inflicted that we really need to think about in our processes. How do we um, eliminate that and arrive at a much more efficient um, an outstanding organization. And, and in building that outstanding organization, just like you said, in building a skyscraper, we need a solid foundation. There are really four key behaviors that you outline in this book um, that do that, that clarity, focus, discipline, and engagement. T- talk a bit about each of those and how they, uh, what role they play in creating that strong foundation. Well, clarity is probably the toughest for people to recognize that they even have a problem with. And so clarity is pretty broad, and it's everything from clarity around what the business goals are for the year, clarity around the purpose of the organization, clarity around customers and what their true needs and expectations are, you know, what clarity around what differentiates the organization's product, whether it's a good or a service, from their competition and why their customers choose them over the other, you know, the other um, options that they've got. Clarity around conversation, terminology, uh, you know, um, clarity in how information passes through an organization from person to person, department to department, and to the degree to which People have to go back and ask for clarification that they could have actually gotten clear up front, and that's, in my definition, a form of rework, by the way. And it's also clarity on roles and responsibilities. You know, what truly is someone's role and responsibility? So you don't have people stepping over each other and, um, you know, conflicting with each other and all the things that trip up organizations. And then finally, clarity around how an organization really is performing. You know, not what they think, not how they think they're performing or what they would like to be, you know, levels they'd like to be performing at, but what they really are, not just financial. Operationally, how are they really performing? All right, so let's move on to focus. So a lot of of people ask me, what's the difference between clarity and focus? 
And the difference, as I see it, is I, when I talk about focus, I'm talking about eliminating distraction. So, you know, again, like we talked about before with chaos, there is some distraction that's good, necessary, and you know, possibly even desirable. But there's a lot of distraction that comes into a business that doesn't need to be, shouldn't be, and we need to be very focused on what's really important in order to not let those distractions kind of seep in and take people's attention off the mission at hand. So that's the whole issue about focus. And then with discipline, you know, being disciplined around what really matters is a way to achieve that focus and maintain it over the long haul. And then also I talk quite a bit in the book about a disciplined problem-solving approach. Now, most organizations don't have a standard approach for how they approach problems, and most organizations don't even have a moderate level of proficiency across the workforce, including leaders, around how they solve problems. So it's, it's a big problem <laughs> that organizations aren't more proficient in problem solving, and that's um, the, putting the disciplined approach in for problem solving is one of my probably biggest passions and the greatest work I do with organizations the most extensive work I do with organizations. And then finally, there's engagement, and engagement's a bit of a follow-on from the other three. So if you have impeccable clarity and, you know, high degree of focus and a disciplined approach to how the organization operates, then you're very likely going to have the conditions in place to have full engagement or at least, you know, high engagement of the employees. And to the degree that you have ambiguity and a lot of what I call organizational ADD and a very undisciplined approach to everything you do, it's going to be tough to fully engage the employees. So um, engagement becomes a bit of a follow-on from those other three. Mm. And and I think it's interesting because as I began to read it, you know, you sort of see – we tend to almost every business book has an outline to here are the four steps, the five steps, the seven laws, the, the et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it's, it's possible to see them as very uh, disjointed. And I think that's what I love about engagement as if you, if you have it, it's kind of a spillover effect. But then you also kind of talk about um, how all of these things, they're part of the same foundation. They're not separate components. They all um, sort of mesh together to help eliminate that chaos. And, and there's a, you do that through a really, to me, a, a very engaging story. There's a lot of really cool stories in the book from some fascinating organizations like W.L. Gore and Menlo Innovations. But when all of these four work together, uh, the, the most outstanding story comes from not your average organization. It comes from the Blue Angels. Talk to me a bit about the Blue Angels uh, as an organization and how they perfectly illustrate all four of these ideas. Yeah, you know, I when I was looking at all of these other stellar organizations, as you've, met, you've mentioned, and also Toyota and you know several others like them, I, I was not finding an organization that consistently, over the long haul, was high on all four fronts. So I looked outside of business, and the Blue Angels were you know one that came to me, and I thought, hmm, let me dig a little deeper into them. And so I uh, got a, a pretty good glimpse inside the organization through working with a couple former pilots. And I found that they were, of all the organizations I've ever studied, the one that just consistently over, you know, 50 years, is it? 40, I forget how many years exactly they've been in existence, but it's a long time. But they've never wavered. They've never wavered at all. And their, their processes that they use and their approach and their philosophy and their practices are just impeccable. 
And I think we can learn a lot from looking outside of business for how we can do things. And, and you know, people often say to me, wow, that's the military, and, you know, we're talking about businesses, and, you know, we don't operate like the military. And I just kind of look at them and say, and why not? Why aren't businesses a little more disciplined? Why aren't businesses you know, um, having more precise definitions of who does what, when, and how? I, I you know, I... I don't know why we have to draw this big line in the sand between the military and business because behaviorally, both entities need to perform at high levels as consistently as possible. So I think actually business has a lot they could learn from the military. And I think infusing a little bit of that discipline and focus and the impeccable clarity that they have um, going into a mission, for example, or as much clarity as you can have going into a mission, uh, we can learn a lot from, from that. Blue Angels were, are an amazing organization. Oh, no, absolutely. Certainly, certainly an outstanding one, absolutely. No, I loved um, hearing the stories about how they, you know, visually before, before any demonstration, before any show, they operate as a team together, talk about clarity and focus. They sit down and, and mentally visualize the entirety of the routine so that they're incredibly clear on what's going on, which is good because they're, um, they're subject to some pretty significant G-forces and other things when they're actually up there flying. And so to have that kind of clarity, um, obviously the act of uh, flying any, any plane is probably fairly engaging, but they obviously are, uh, stay engaged in it. And then ultimately that discipline, which I think you're right. I think it's on that discipline line where we really draw uh, the difference between business and, and military-style um, organizations and say, oh, well, that's, that's the military, but why can't they be as disciplined? Ultimately, it's about that, uh, that level of efficiency and efficient execution. Well, yeah, they, they call it chair flying, and it's their form of visualization, and it kind of bleeds into this whole notion I talk about in the book about practice and the role of practice in becoming better and better at whatever it is you do. Businesses also don't think about the need to practice, and you know, practicing problem solving, practicing specific processes, you know, creating contingency plans and practicing those, all of those things are not done at a, you know, on a regular basis and at a high level in most organizations. So I think that whole concept of practice and becoming better and better and better is, you know, somewhat of a new concept for a lot of businesses to consider. No, I, I totally agree. And I don't think it's built into the average job description that we hand to people, especially in knowledge work. I think there's a lot more uh, winging it than there is sort of practicing. I, I learned that. I, I was uh, fortunate or unfortunate, I'm still deciding. Maybe when I retire, I, t I can <laughs> decide. But I was fortunate or unfortunate to kind of begin in, in sales. And sales is probably one of the few knowledge work uh, industries that at least had some element of practice. Now, whether or not we were practicing the right thing is a totally different issue. But that kind of, I, I took that with me through everything uh, that I do as to whether or not are we actually practicing, are we building in systems for feedback? How do we know we're getting better? What's our, what's our version in this new job of chair flying? I think almost any uh, that was kind of one of my big um, takeaways from the book is that almost anything that you do, what is your equivalent of chair flying? What is your equivalent of getting that um, perfect practice that makes perfect? Right. And, you know, the research is showing it takes 10 years to become 10,000 hours. So it's about 10 years of total time to get highly proficient at anything, whether it's, you know, becoming a cellist or, you know, a tennis player or a Blue Angel or an absolutely proficient problem solver. It all takes 10 years. And so we have a little bit of a short-term, you know, thinking problem that we have to combat in order to, you know, get the commitment 
to practicing and getting better and better. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. So something, no, something no. to consider. <laughs> No, absolutely. No, it doesn't happen overnight. But when it finally happens, it happens very um, efficiently. And um, I love I love the story of the Blue Angels, so I definitely wanted to tie that out. But I, I also want to emphasize there's a ton of other fascinating stories, like um, examples from Toyota, from Gore, from Menlo. There's a lot of different outstanding organizations in the book. And I want to encourage our readers, if you want to find out how to build that same foundation of those four behaviors and eliminate chaos, uh, pick that up. But, but Karen, I want to transition to you a little bit and ask you, what are you reading right now? I'm reading, I always have three books going at once. You know, I, I don't is it think always so. three or does it just happen to be three? It's always three. And it's not intentional. It just is always three. Um, I have one upstairs, one downstairs, and one in the kitchen. You know. So I'm reading Daniel Coyle's new book, The Little Book of Talent, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, he, I used a lot of his foundational work when I was working on The Outstanding Organization and just love his research and writing. Also reading Dan Pink's new one, To Sell as Human. And um, I've I've long been a fan of Dan Pink, and just find that he takes you know these really kind of simple concepts and makes them so interesting and, and you know story packed and all that. So I love that book. And then I'm also reading something that's a little more serious and and a little diff- more difficult to get through. Taiichi Ono's Workplace Management. So it's a reissue, a hundredth birthday edition that just came out of. You know, Taiichi Ono was the industrial engineer that um, really built the Toyota production system, and it's his uh, you know, seminal work. The workplace management is the name of the the book, and hmm. a really really good read, but not so easy. Not not a breezy read. <laughs> oh de- no, definitely definitely not. But it sounds it sounds really interesting. You know, I I kind of have a morbid interest for some of the old. Early roots of industrial management ideas. You know, I I, I think uh, Frederick Taylor got a little bit of a bad rap because he, you know, he had a good heart. He wasn't what he was going for, sort of pushed us all forward. But I I, I loved. I read an, um, a, a re-release of uh, Principles of Scientific Management and and Herz, some of Herzberg stuff. I like. I love those roots. And actually, you are um, the second person to recommend the little book uh, of talent to me. And believe it or not, the first one was Daniel Pink. Um, so now I definitely have to pick that one up. Yep, um, they're, well. they're excellent books. So awesome. Well, we so we have the outstanding organization, but as I understand it too, speaking of books, this is not the only one we're looking uh, at for you. What is what's next for you? What's on the horizon for you? So next up is uh, writing a book with Mike Osterling from McGraw Hill on value stream mapping in non-manufacturing. We don't really know what the title is going to be exactly yet, but it's uh, going to address the absolute power of this visual tool that most organizations aren't even aware about. It's a very powerful tool that we've learned from Toyota on looking at the whole way work flows through a system or, in most cases, doesn't flow through a system and a design tool for redesigning the whole workflow process. Wow, it, it sounds intriguing for sure. I, I actually am I'm looking at, as you're, as you're talking about that, I, though I'll confess I'm not that uh, well, well steeped in value stream mapping, but I'm looking at a bunch of other books that I'm realizing are fascinating for the exact reason that they're making visual um, what used to be fairly abstract, and I think there's a huge benefit to that. So we're definitely going to... Uh, Definitely going to pick that up and check that out. But in the meantime, I want to, again, encourage our readers to check out the uh, Outstanding Organization. If you want to eliminate um, self-inflicted chaos, especially in your own life, if you want to learn how clarity, focus, discipline, and engagement in your organization can help build um, an outstanding organization, or if you just want to get some cool stories about Toyota and the Blue Angels and W.L. Gore, any of those things, um, this book can do it for you. So, Karen, thank you so much for writing it, and thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. 
David, thanks so much for having me on. It was really a fun time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 